The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Very warm welcome to this Friday edition of Scorebox with Karen Cho, Jeff Cutmore and myself, Steve Sedgwick. And these are your headlines. Risk off sentiment returning. Uh, Asia equities sell off across the board with Japan and South Korea hit hardest with tech names uh, taking the brunt of the declines. The Nasdaq sinks over 3.5% in its worst day since October as the rally in 10-year yields sends Wall Street into a tailspin with Europe set to follow suit. EU leaders voice their concerns over the vaccine rollout. Commission Chief Ursula von der Leyen is confident the bloc will hit its summer targets, but the European Council President Charles Michel takes aim at suppliers. We want more predictability and transparency to ensure that pharmaceutical companies comply with their commitments. Lafarge Wholesome expects demand to increase during the second half as stimulus programs boost economies. After the Swiss manufacturing group posts a 14% rise in operating profit for 2020, we're going to be speaking with the CEO, Jan Yenich, at this hour. And President Biden launches targeted rocket attacks against Iranian-backed militias in Syria, retaliating on uh, rocket attacks on U.S. troops and assets in Iraq. Right, we're going to go through a couple of corporates very quickly, then we're going to get to the main event with Karen taking you through in detail some of the big wall moves as well. Deutsche Telekom, fourth quarter organic revenue up 5.1%, adjusted EBITDA after leases up 9%. Fourth quarter adjusted net profit was up 61.7%, way beating expectations, came in at 1.6 billion euros. Uh, average poll was 1.1 billion. Um, what else can I tell you? Um, uh, ba, 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 ba. They set 2021 guidance for EBITDA after leases of 37 billion euros, free cash flow after leases of 8 billion euros as well. So that's Deutsche Telekom. We'll go into a little bit more detail on that one a little bit later on. But first of all, we need to talk you through some big markets. A fairly dramatic moves in the market yesterday, particularly in some sectors. Uh, what we saw earlier this week, uh, Jay Powell setting out a very dovish time frame for interest rates, effectively saying it'll take about three years to get back to 2%. The market bought into that uh, for a very brief period of time. But since then, we've seen the escalation yields yet again and selling in many of those high-flying momentum stocks. And this was the wash-up yesterday. The Nasdaq down heavily in particular, 3.5% off that market. You can see the Dow not down as much, a little bit more resilient, a fall of about 1.75% and the S&P 2.5%. So very mixed fortunes, as you can see, in terms of the pace of the falling. That said, if you look at the longer time frame this week, because a lot of investors have sat back and said, are we entering lethal territory now with the rate story? And do we need to lighten up on some of these exposures? Yet at the same time, we've had this rotation away from the pandemic winners in technology towards more cyclical areas of the stock. And that's been a huge trend 
underlying this market. So week to date, Dow is only down a fraction, only just 0.3 of a percent versus much steeper falls elsewhere because of those technology components. The Nasdaq, for instance, has shed about 5.4 percent over the same period of time. Big stocks uh, of the likes of Apple, Microsoft, some of the major uh, big flying tech names, which we'll take a look at in a moment. Let's just get into that treasury story. We did escalate to about 1.61 percent. We've drifted off those levels, but still very close to the 1.5 percent mark. Also worth noting yesterday, a lot of investors were very closely watching that five-year note, and uh, it broke much uh, higher than this to uh, closer to the 0.8% range. And for many, that was a warning signal about just how damaging the yield story could be for markets, for stocks at this point. So uh, investors very much looking at that one-year high, too, on the 10-year. And uh, the moves that we've had in a short period of time, as we talk about just how dangerous markets are, it's the short, sharp moves in a very small period of time that spooks investors. Typically, we've had 40 basis points in just one month uh, in terms of the move on the 10-year yield. That is the largest move since 2016. And the FANG stocks as a result, you know, the message of ultra low rates has been a very strong one for stretching valuations in the big technology names. But many are now taking stock of that story. Apple, for instance, it's come off the boil in over the course of this week. You can see in session yesterday was down 3.5 percent. Microsoft uh, at the forefront of this remote working journey and the acceleration in digital trends. Investors pulling back on that stock again, 2.3% down. Alphabet, Amazon, uh, these stocks were not immune. The only exception there was Twitter up 3.7%. A quick look uh, by comparison at what the VIX, the fear gauge has done. We've seen that spike, it's translated to this index, a 35% jump yesterday, taking it much closer to the 29 level, whether this is now a buying signal uh, as we're flagging up more risk or whether it's uh, telling you something different. I'm sure Steve will have a few thoughts on that in just a moment. But a quick look at uh, the small cap space too. Don't forget when we get more elevated volatility in the markets, typically we can get a sell-off in the Russell 2000. That's exactly what transpired. Small caps uh, falling yesterday, about 3.7%. Worst trading session since mid-June last year. Over the course of the week, we're down about uh, three odd percent on this and uh, drifting off some of the record highs to the tune of 5%. But that is worth noting. We have seen very recently a lot of record highs on this market. So violent shakedowns in a short period of time and somewhat natural when you've had very extreme moves to the upside as well. The question is, uh, are we looking at fundamentals at this point or just a little bit of a shakeout from some of that exuberance that we've witnessed on markets? I want to take you to the opening calls. And here in Europe, we had a fairly mild day of action yesterday. Uh, effectively, the stock strip 600 was down about a third of a percent. We didn't get the extreme sell-offs that we had stateside and what we were witnessing elsewhere in Asia. And these markets, though, are called weaker today as a result. We're going to see a catch-up trade take place, uh, that German stock market. It's been one of the weaker ones, actually, this week out of all of the main European markets. So potentially the one to watch, you can see so far, of more than 200 odd points uh, in the opening calls. Well, Asian markets are selling off. Uh, let's get out to Matthew Taylor for more on this. Enough so that we even got uh, some moves by the central bank in Australia in the face of that sell-off, Matt. Yeah, exactly. Going into the bond market to try and ease some of, of course, the rising yields we're seeing there. But take a look at the picture across Asia. A couple of markets are just closing out for the session. South Korea down more than 3%, 95 points. But take a look at Japan. Uh, we're off some 4%, 1,202 points. The Nikkei falling to its lowest level since February the 8th of this year. Let's give you a look at the bond yields in Asia, really rising in tandem with what we saw uh, in the United States. Japan, the 10-year, uh, 1650, 197.4 when it comes to South Korea. 
Now, of course, Karen, you were talking about uh, the big sell down that we saw in the NASDAQ. It was essentially the loss leader when it came to the United States overnight. And we are seeing that play out when it comes to tech stocks here in Asia as well. Uh, let's give you a look at some of the Hong Kong tech names because we are seeing a lot of weakness there. Hang Seng down almost 3%, 884 points. The tech index down by some 5% there when it comes to Hong Kong tech stocks. Uh, Japan, South Korea, of course, tech-heavy markets there as well. Let's give you a look at some of the big names. Sony, 4% weaker. Nintendo, down by more than 5%. South Korea, SK Hynix, down by 5.4%. LG, off by around 4% as well. So heavy selling really playing out when it comes to a number of the tech names here in Asia. Back to you now in London. Matt, thank you very much indeed. If we don't speak to you again, have a great weekend. Right, there's a few points to make here. Jeff, good morning to you. Karen, excellent description of what's going on at the wall as well. Let me make a few points. One, markets sell off on treasuries for two reasons. One, people are very, very worried about things. Two, people are very, very optimistic about things. And if you think the US economy is going to go great guns, then naturally you would go to riskier assets potentially, or you would certainly lessen your holding of bonds, anticipating some action from the central bank. Second point, too, is the central bank going to bite on this one as well? Because we've had lots of verbal intervention from the ECB, from others as well, Bank of England, but especially Jay Powell this week in his two days of testimony saying, no, we are going to keep the rates lower for longer and we are happy with a higher tolerance above 2% as well. Well, the market's testing that and whether there'll be more mechanisms going on behind the scenes rather than just verbal intervention, that remains to be seen. Three, the market reaction. Markets falling, ladies and gentlemen, are not bad things. They are price correcting mechanisms as well as um, reasons for to, to going up on the upside when there's good news. So basically, if you think we've come too far, having a bit of a pause in the rally is not a bad thing. And I know Jeff has also been looking at the fact that some of these indices, they're barely off their 52-week highs. Look at the Dow week to date, for instance. Week to date, the Dow is down a mighty 0.3 of 1%. And I'll also just finally draw your attention to two more stats from the overnight. One, the transports week to date, which are an indicator historically of good economic momentum. Transports week to date are up 0.7 of 1%. And my final little uh, little chestnut for you is the VIX. The VIX didn't move anywhere until the market moved down. So once again, for those of you who think it's a fear index, it ain't. It only moved when the market moved. Mr. Cutmore. Yeah, um, I like your chestnuts. I like the look of the chestnuts there. Let, let me just throw in a few other points to put some context on the broader story. Uh, I know people like uh, the PIMCO uh, CIO Dan Iverson and others have been rushing to come out and say, look, uh, don't worry, this is an inflation head fake. There is no demand pull inflation at this point. And I think that's actually correct. Let's face the reality that we've just come through a very difficult phase for the global economy. We are experiencing uh, still the lockdowns of a pandemic. And inevitably, the consequences of that are creating some increase in prices. It's not actually creating a whole lot of pressure, though, on wages. And I think that's the bit that you need to keep your eye on here if you are really worried about inflationary pressures and you are really worried about them becoming stubborn and ultimately resulting in higher yields and central banks that react by pushing up interest rates. And that's the other part of this story, which I think doesn't quite add up at this moment. I'm wait, you know, I'm, I'm very happy to be convinced by the bond market that actually we have a major sea change here. But if you go back to, say, 1994, the last time we had a major 
crash in the bond market. The reason that happened, and, and James Carville, of course, who was the political advisor of Bill Clinton going around saying, I want to be reincarnated as the bond market so I can frighten people. The reason that happened was the Federal Reserve started raising interest rates very rapidly at a time when there was a significant US government deficit. The bit that's going to be missing at the moment is the central banks are not interested in moving interest rates at this stage. And historically, whenever you've seen crashes, they've somehow been associated with a policy error in central bank policy making. So I think there are a few things missing when it comes to um, the reasons why we should continue to see Treasury yields rise and why we should ultimately have a real clear out for bond market investors and consequently um, equity markets. Clearly, the market here is testing the patience of the central banks and is pushing just to see how far they can take this. But to my mind, there seem to be a few key fundamentals missing for this to be a major 94-style clear-out, Karen. Jeff, what we're trying to ascertain is just how dangerous this market is for investors at this point. And I think if you look at the the Fed futures, there's not much danger of a rate hike, even despite all the moves we've seen, what effectively is now being priced in, uh, a 25 basis point move by January 2023. We're not talking about this year. We're not talking about next year. We're talking January 2023. So the market is correcting to an extent and trying to work out what the yield curve should look like. But that said, We've had a market that has moved so far away from fundamentals for so many months now in pricing and recovery just how quickly that comes back, forward pricing months out. But the same story, too, as we get a, a shock or a, a reweighting according to what could happen around the interest rate story. I think a lot of investors have stretched valuations so far. We know that it's not just long term investors that buy and hold for the long term anymore. You have a lot of tactical trading out there in the markets. So if there are warning signs of being flagged up by the yield market, you may get some tactical trading even by long-term investors, which can cause a market flush out. So it is a market that is somewhat dangerous at this point. I will just throw in uh, the relevance of data at this point, because I think investors are looking to the Fed to see what clues they're offering. They're looking to what their own assumptions are. And in between all that is the, the real hard data that comes through. And the U.S. personal consumption data is due later on today. This is one of the Fed's uh, favorite inflation measures. And uh, we're expecting to see core inflation uh, to dip to 1.4% in January. So that may help calm nerves a little bit later on today. It might be something to watch for market direction. And one for a large amount of the, uh, I'd say, investment community, speculators community. Thank goodness you've got your, your Bitcoins as hedges for inflation, yeah? Let's move on. President Biden has been blocked from including a raise in the minimum wage in his stimulus proposals following a ruling by the Senate parliamentarian. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer vowed to continue the fight to improve the minimum wage as House representatives prepare to vote on the $1.9 trillion fiscal package as early as today. President Biden urged lawmakers to move fast on passing the bill. The only way to contain this pandemic and help the American people as quickly as possible is passing the plan as quickly as possible. The vast majority of the American people from both parties supported according to the data. I'm grateful that many of you, Democrats and Republicans, have expressed support as well. U.S. weekly jobless claims fell sharply last week. And I guess this is the point of, of, of the catalyst we saw overnight as well, with 730,000 Americans filing for unemployment. That is significantly less than the four, I beg pardon, 845,000 
forecast. The decline came despite the winter storms that swept across the southern states last week. But the figures are still well above the levels prior to the pandemic. Jeff, you've been taking a look at one or two European corporates. Yeah, well, let me just run through uh, BS, BASF as we uh, run to break here. This is the chemicals business. Um, the uh, top line from them, strong performance in the fourth quarter uh, due to higher volumes and prices. EBIT before special items of 3.6 billion uh, euros in uh, 2020. Uh, we are well on track to achieve the targeted 2 billion annual EBITDA contribution by the end of 20. 2021, exceptionally uh, strong um, adverse economic impacts of the coronavirus pandemic also had a negative effect on development of uh, BASF's uh, group free cash flow, but they are proposing a dividend uh, for the year of uh, €3.30 per share. Um, and a uh, payment of €3 billion to shareholders for the 2020 business year. The group says they achieved uh, sales of €59.1 billion for uh, 2020 and EBIT before special items, as I say, of £3.6 In terms of the target uh, going forward, they are hoping to move sales to somewhere between £61 billion and £64 billion for 2021 and uh, a return on capital employed of between 8 uh, and 9.2% for 2020. It was 1.7%. So you can see the ambition in the target here. Uh, so that's a quick run through on BASF. Um, it must be time for us to take a quick break here to pay for the programming. So when we come back, uh, we will speak to uh, BASF CEO Martin uh, Brudermiller later on in the morning. That first on CNBC interview will be at 8.05 CET. Also still to come, European Council members meet as a shaky vaccine rollout threatens pandemic progress in the block. Apparently, French officials now say the AstraZeneca vaccine is okay. So I'm not sure how that's playing with their president, but we'll talk about that meeting a little bit later on in the programme, Karen. And for more on the market sell-off and what the Fed might do next, you can check out this Box podcast. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music and Google Podcasts. President Biden says his administration will launch a major campaign and a bid to educate and reassure Americans about the safety of vaccines. Biden made the comments as he marked 50 million doses been administered since he took office. Today, I'm here to report we're halfway there. 50 million shots in just 37 days since I've become president. The weeks before I became president, the previous administration saw 6 million shots administered in last week. This coming week, we will administer over 12 million shots, double the pace in just six weeks. 
AstraZeneca CEO Pascal Sorio says the company will, quote, hopefully meet its vaccine supply commitments to deliver 180 million jabs to the EU in the second quarter. He's been under fire from EU leaders since the drug maker said it could only deliver 40 million doses to the bloc in the first quarter, less than half the amount agreed. Sorio faced questions from the heads of state along with executives from rival drug makers at a vaccine panel. European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen told EU leaders more work needs to be done with AstraZeneca to ensure enough vaccines arrive. If we look at the pattern, we see that the vast majority of exports is done, exports is done by uh, BioNTech-Pfizer, uh, 95% approximately, and um, the, the rest basically by Moderna. Both of them are honoring their contract. So that is fine with us. Uh, we are in discussions, as you know, with AstraZeneca, where we, there's room for improvement, what um, the fulfillment of the contract is concerned. So here we have a very close eye on what's going on. Uh, von der Leyen also addressed the EU's 27 heads of state gathered virtually at the European Council to discuss the state of the pandemic, the vaccine rollout and the path to economic recovery. Uh, Sylvia, um, all too often the Commission blames everyone else but themselves for events as well. Is it time for heads to roll over at the European Commission and admit that it was their mistake and actually perhaps there's a change of leadership needed? Well, von der Leyen has made some comments that indeed the, the, perhaps the Commission didn't work as effectively as it could have been in the past. But the reality is that there's a lot going on at the European level when it comes to the fight against the coronavirus. Um, and in this context, their main priority at this stage is indeed speeding up this process. Von der Leyen herself is very much focused on uh, in increasing the number of production plants in Europe. So then the vaccination rollout can actually be uh, more effective in the coming months. And she repeated yesterday that the aim is still to vaccinate 70% of the adult population in the EU by the end of December. But one of the other uh, theme that was discussed yesterday by the European leaders was the vaccine passport. This is a very controversial subject at this stage. In fact, there was no consensus among the 27 last night. But the president of the European Council, Charles Michel, did say that there has been more convergence among the 27 when it comes to this topic. But the French president, Emmanuel Macron, made the remark that indeed a vaccine passport could be discriminatory towards young people. Let's take a look. Controls may be necessary at certain internal borders of the European Union primarily to combat the spread of variants, but the general principle must remain the preservation of movement of cross-border commuters and truckers, simply to avoid fragmenting living areas and breaking up supply chains. I'd like to immediately draw attention to the fact that when I say health pass, that can't depend on one's vaccination. Because if we manage at some point in the spring to reopen some places, we can't condition their access on whether someone's been vaccinated when we wouldn't have even opened the vaccination campaign to the youngest. 
So the idea of a vaccine passport is very important, mainly for countries in South Europe. Greece has been lobbying hard for the EU to agree on this policy as soon as possible, so then it can reopen the tourism industry more easily in the summertime. But during the press conference, von der Leyen also made the comment that it would take three months from a technical perspective to implement a vaccine passport. So there's still quite a lot of uncertainty as to how this will evolve in the coming months, whether this will actually be in place in time for the summer season, Jeff. So let's see whether or not this vaccine passport will actually go ahead. All right, Sylvia, thanks very much for the report. Well, there doesn't look to be uh, much likelihood of easing anytime soon in Germany. In fact, the German Chancellor Angela Merkel has played down the prospect of a swift reopening of the country's economy. The COVID infection rate in Germany has stagnated in recent weeks. But Merkel said the introduction of home testing kits is a step in the right direction ahead of the eventual mass rollout of the vaccine. We won't get by without incidences in general, nor will we be able to open immediately. But we will first have to increase testing. In fact, we have a new option, also via home tests and through the mass availability of the antigen rapid tests on the market. This must now be introduced and we'll see what effect this has. Then we can consider whether this also gives us a bit more freedom to open up, but not by avoiding incidences in general. Right. I would suggest to you that U.S. futures will dictate a large part of the European session. And at the moment, the implied open is for a negative start yet again, although nowhere near the kind of declines we saw on the major bourses. Yes, they Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.